Hello, welcome everyone. My name is John Sproul and I am going to be your service leader uh, today. Um, and as we begin, first of all, I'd like to welcome any new people who are here today and hopefully can join for some conversation uh, afterwards. And certainly welcome to everyone new and old or, or been around a long time who are um, online. Um, the, because uh, uh, Unitarians are young at heart. Um, so if I would ask as we begin for everyone um, to silence your uh, devices in respect for everyone else um, and so that we don't disturb our time of uh, meditation and reflection uh, together. And before we uh, start our service, we just have a couple of announcements. Marilyn, if you wanted to pop up. Hi, I'm Marilyn Gay, and um, I just wanted to uh, acknowledge the fact that we are now in a time of renewal. Um, spring is arriving, uh, two steps forward, one step back. And um, along with that, there's a renewed interest in the paganism chalice group, which was active in the before times. And I see a couple of people here who I'm hoping will meet with me today after church in Keeler Hall to begin again. And those of you that are on uh, Zoom, uh, if you also have an interest in rekindling our chalice, um, you might contact me through the church office and uh, we'll get connected. We won't be meeting frequently, but uh, on special occasions. Last week was the vernal equinox, and um, that was a time to celebrate uh, a season of change and renewal, and um, we hope to renew the paganism chalice group. So at 12 o'clock today in the social hall, um, you're welcome to take part in a few, um, you know, token uh, token gestures that I have planned. Thank you. Thanks very much, um, Marilyn. Also, just a couple of announcements. The UC annual general meeting is May 1st, so put it on your calendar. Um, and it will be after the Coriolis Choir service. And it will be electing um, new board members, passing the budget, um, and a number of other particular activities. So hopefully people can join us for that. Also, uh, the garage sale is coming back and it's on May 13th. Um, there'll be more information on the website as it goes along. Please don't start bringing donations until May 1st, but um, certainly start to root to your own house for things that you might want to kind of exchange and allow to share with others. Before we begin our service, we will now have um, a prelude and um, over to uh, Karen. Uh, Karen. And so welcome um, to everyone, um, to those uh, here in the sanctuary and those online. Uh, this is the Unitarian Church of Edmonton, so if online you were expecting to be in a webinar for pasta making or uh, 
the watching the Senate hearings for the new uh, Supreme Court justice or the board meeting of the United Conservative Party, you are at the wrong link. Um, you're at the Unitarian Church of Edmonton and welcome to everyone here, especially those uh, people who might be new and experienced for the first time. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a rich mosaic of free-thinking, spiritual, questing individuals joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, pursue the common good, and work for justice. We believe in the compassion of the individual heart, the warmth of community, and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather with gratitude this morning on Treaty 6 land. A treaty is an inheritance, a responsibility, and a relationship. May we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to all of our children. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. We are not isolated beings, but are connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. We regularly have a chalice lighting at our service, and today I'd like to ask Declan Kiley, to, um, who will be speaking later, to be able to um, light the uh, chalice. Reverend Rosemary has selected some words for the lighting chalice. Uh, we light this flame as an act of faith by Reverend Scott Taylor. We come with our doubts, worn out and worn down, wanting once again to trust, to believe, that hope is not as fragile as it sometimes seems, that division is not as deep as it sometimes appears. And so, we light this flame as an act of faith, a reminder, a redeclaration, a rekindling of the trust that darkness can't ever shut out that light. That kindness is more powerful than we know. That humility and accountability allow us to change. That together we can most certainly bend the arc of this beautiful universe toward justice. And for our first hymn um, uh, today, um, if people in the sanctuary can kind of rise if they're willing or, or able, and we will be uh, singing uh, hymn number 170, which I think is a wonderful phrase which describes Unitarians. We are a gentle, angry people.
Today, we celebrate the Trans Day of Visibility. We do this because we care. We care about all of us experiencing this thing called life. That means all of us. We all wonder who we are, what we want to be, question different parts of ourselves. In conversations I have had over the years with trans folk, I note a couple of things. We don't fully understand this thing called gender. And how gender influences almost everything about us. One of my dear friends, Lisa Salazar, a trans woman I went to seminary with, and she wrote a book called Transparently, The Tale of a Life Well Lived. She did her master's researching spiritual practices and spiritual maturity of differently gendered people. Her research showed that trans folk are remarkably more spiritually centered and mature than cisgender folk. The reason for this? Trans, this is a generalization of course, trans people need to do a lot of self-examination, a lot of self-exploration, figure themselves out and in the process of doing this become more self-aware, know themselves better and this, as the mystics tell us, is the pathway to the divine. If you want to know God, know yourself. During this time of celebrating Trans Day of Visibility, we are going to center the trans experience for part of our service this morning. First, I'm going to read a story. Then we're going to sing everything possible. And then after that, one of our trans youth, Declan Kiley, thank you Declan, is going to share a reflection. Our meditation will be centered on a poem by a trans person. And then as we light candles of joy and concern, let us light candles of affirmations for all the gender expansive people in our community, in our lives, in the world. Those safe and those not safe. We will conclude this part of the service with our hymn of the month, There is a Love, and then, so therefore you will know when we are going to move into the second part of our service, which isn't as much fun because we're going to talk about money. May this time of thinking and reflecting on the trans experience be a blessing to us all. And so now for our time for all ages, I'm going to read a story called From the Stars in the Sky to the Fish in the Sea. And it's written by Kai Chen Tom and illustrated by Yant Li and Kai Yang Ching. And I'm asking Declan, Declan's doing triple service for us this morning uh, to turn the pages. And I will get out of the way so that you can see the pictures here, too. They should come up, I think. Are we yes? I'll just give you a sec. Here we go. All right. Once upon a time, in a little blue house on a hill, on the edge of town, a baby was born. They were born when both the moon and the sun were in the sky. So the baby couldn't decide what to be, what to be. boy or girl, bird or fish, cat or rabbit, tree or star. So the baby looked a little like everything. They looked very strange. At the same time, the baby's mother gave her child a bath and rocked them in her arms. Your name, she said, is Mulan. And she sang a song that her own mother had sung to her long ago. And I'm going to ask you, to, I'm going to sing it through and then once, and then I'm going to ask you to sing it through with me for the second time. And it goes like this. Whatever you dream of, I believe you can be from the stars in the sky to the fish in the sea. You can crawl like a crab or with feathers fly high and I'll always be here. I'll be near standing by and you know that I'll love you till the day that I die. Can we sing it together? 
Whatever you dream of, I believe you can be. From the stars in the sky to the fish in the sea. You can crawl like a crab or with feathers fly high. And I'll always be near, I'll be near standing by. And you know that I'll love you till the day that I die. And even though they still couldn't decide, the baby felt loved. Mulan grew up to be a strange, magical child who was always changing. They grew feathers and wings to fly with bluebirds in the morning, scales and a tail to swim with fish in the afternoons, and fur and feathers, uh, fur and paws to play with puppies in the evenings. No matter how many things Mulan became, their mother always brought them back into the little blue house gave them a bath, and tucked them into bed at the day's end. As the stars rose, she sang. I invite you to sing with me. Whatever you dream of, I believe you can be. From the stars in the sky to the fish in the sea. I invite you at home as well to sing along. Mulan felt love. One day, it was time for the child to go to school. They were so excited, they grew a tail of peacock feathers and a coat of tiger, tiger stripes. Have fun, said Mulan's mother. But when they got to the school, the other children were either boys or girls. They had no feathers, no scales, no leaves, no furs, no fins, not even any sparkles. No one invited Mulan to play. One boy ran up to the child and asked, what are you supposed to be? Mulan didn't know how to answer. When they came home, their mother asked them how they'd liked school. It's okay, Mulan said. Did you make any friends? Mm, not really, said Mulan. That night, Mulan's mother tucked them into bed and sang, Ready? You can crawl like a crab or with feathers fly high And I'll always be here, I'll be near standing by And you know that I'll love you till the day that I died And Mulan felt loved, but also worried the next day, they wore a turtle shell and porcupine spines. No one pulled or poked Milan, but the other children still pointed and whispered. Did you make any friends today? asked, his, asked their mother. Not, not really, Milan said. That night, Milan's mother tucked them into bed and sang. Ready? Whatever you dream of, I believe you can be. From the stars in the sky to the fish in the sea. And Mulan felt loved, but also sad. The next day, Mulan wore no feathers, no scales, no fur, no fins, no shells, no spines. Not even sparkles. Mulan was invited to play baseball with the boys. No one pointed, whispered, laughed, or stared. But when Mulan joined the little girls playing hopscotch, boys don't play hopscotch, said a little girl. Are you a boy or a girl anyway? asked a little boy. Didn't you have a shell the other day? asked the little girl and a feather the day before. What are you supposed to be? Let's say that together. What are you supposed to be? Asked several children at once. And Mulan shouted, I don't know. And Mulan galloped out of the playground on horses' hooves, swam through the stream with a fish's tail, and soared up on the hill on an eagle's wings. 
How is school? asked Mulan's mother. I wore feathers and stripes so that the other kids would think I was beautiful. But they thought I was weird. And then I wore a shell and spines so that no one would pull or poke me. But they wouldn't talk to me. And then I tried to be just like everyone else. But I haven't made any friends. I can't decide what to be. Why do I have to be just one thing? It isn't always easy to be different from everyone else, said their mother. But you can only be who you are. What if the other children don't like who I am, sniffled Mulan. Their mother smiled sadly. I don't know, she admitted, but I do know this. Whatever you dream of, I believe you can be, from the stars in the sky to the fish in the sea. And Mulan felt loved. That night, they slept a deep sleep. The next day, Mulan wore feathers, fur, scales, leaves, and many sparkles that glittered like stars. For a moment, none of the other children spoke. Then a little girl said, You can fly. That's so cool. I like your sparkles, said a little boy. I'm sorry I pulled your feathers, said a said the boy with red hair. I was a little jealous of them. Yulon asked, Does anyone want to play with me? They showed the other children how to gallop like horses, climb like monkeys, and swim like fish. It was fun to be many different things. And the child of fur, feathers, scales, leaves, and sparkles, who was neither boy or girl, but many things, and always changing, felt happy. On a little blue house, on the hill, on the edge of town, Mulan's mother smiled and sang the song her mother had sung to her. And let's sing it together for the last time. Whatever you dream of, I believe you can be. From the stars in the sky, to the fish in the sea. You can crawl like a crab, or with feathers fly high. And I'll always be here, I'll be near standing by. And I know that I love you, till the day that I die. Whatever you dream of, I believe you can be. For you are my child, courageous and free. Thank you. And now we will sing Everything Possible. And I, I watched the service from last week, and I think we sang it then too, didn't we? We did. We'll sing it again. Nobody minds. Do they? No. No. No, no I've decided for you. You don't mind. <laughs>
Last year, on March 31st, I went out and took some selfies wearing this very outfit, and I posed with my brand new fan. And my seven months on testosterone hormone replacement therapy left me with a hairless chin, a forehead full of zits, and I donned a haircut like Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, but that's as far as the comparisons went. <laughs> Coming out and being visible came naturally to me, and as soon as I started to figure out my identity, and a lot of cis people don't really understand that being Declan is what feels normal to me, and especially after two years. It was really the only option in my mind to come out. I'm very lucky and privileged to have grown up in a supporting and accepting environment such as this, uh, where I have the ability to transition safely and be accepted and, you know, have people respect me still. And people have told me I'm courageous for coming out, but really, the idea of hiding and staying closeted is way scarier. Being closeted and being early in your transition are two different beasts. Before coming out, your old gender becomes a, a shield. And when I was still grappling with accepting myself, I clung to this hyper-femininity and the idea that I could still make it as a pretty girl, even though it felt really hollow and forced. And I, don't, I didn't hate it exactly, it just wasn't right. And like I said, Declan is what was natural to me. And I know it's like, I know I can't stay a caterpillar, but at least I can look like a normal bug still before I go in the cocoon. But when you come out, you start to get a glimpse of the other side and the butterfly you can be. Like, especially when you start to, you know, wear clothes and such, like that's all it can take before you can realize like, hey, I can be something else that I actually wanna be. But when you come out, um, but this, that can take years and it can take money and it can take resources that are hard to come by and endless hard conversations to get there. And really there's an agony that comes with knowing exactly what you want and need and being unable to reach it. From there, I understand why so many trans people hesitate on being visible, because it's a game plan. Like, you get everything you'll need ready to go, and then you drop your secret, and you speed through your journey, but, like, it just doesn't work that way. Patience is really a virtue for a trans person. The thing I wanted most from testosterone was a, be was a beard, and after 19 months, it's still very slow going. It's hard to see yourself before transition, but sometimes it's even harder to see yourself during transition. I avoid those old selfies some days on really bad days. Like, how did I even show my face looking like that? But the journey is slow, and it's very easy to want to hide yourself until you achieve your transition goals. It's scary to be visible every single day, and it feels weird to be imperfect. It feels bad, but you know, I have to remind myself so often that every stepping stone is essential and therefore good for me, even if it's not exactly what I want. And so often, every step, um, and like I said, I'm still going. In a way, the journey never ends, and the awkward phases are just as important as the best ones, because they all help me to get where I am now. So to me, Trans Day of Visibility is about celebrating where you're at, whether that's announcing your transness for the very first time or looking back every 10 years. After 10 years, every March 31st that passes is a landmark and a new view of my chrysalis. And it's not all sad being trans. Like I said, getting that view of yourself that you could be for the very first time, seeing that butterfly, it's the most joyful feeling in the world. It feels like you can finally breathe and even just small things like someone using the right pronouns for me or the right name is like, it really is me. Thank you. Thank you, Declan. Let's take a moment to reflect on these things. Take a couple of deep breaths as you are willing. Wiggle into your chair. Notice the air coming in and out of your body. And I'm going to read 
a short poem by Jane Melt, and then we'll move into Candles of Joy and Concern. Whether it's raining or snowing, midnight, or you're awaking from a nap, working an eight-hour shift, or watching reruns, buying groceries or folding laundry, celebrating a birthday or burying a friend, lighting a candle or taking a bath, calling your mom or cleaning the kitchen, making paint or cookie dough, waiting for bread or the sun to rise every day is Trans Day. And we'll just have a few moments of silence and I will read it again. Every Day is Trans Day by Jay Melt. Whether it's raining or snowing, midnight, or you're awaking from a nap, working on an eight-hour shift or watching reruns, buying groceries or folding laundry, celebrating a birthday or burying a friend, lighting a candle or taking a bath, calling your mom or cleaning the kitchen, mixing paint or cookie dough, waiting for bread or the sun to rise. Every day is trans day. And a few moments of silence. And as you are to be invited to light a candle of joy or concern, we'll line up along there, grab a taper, light it from there, and then light a candle, extinguish it in the water, and put it in the second basket. Um, and if you're new to do lighting a candle here, just follow along. Um, think about people you know or don't know that are trans, one of my trans friends have said to me it was either transitioning or not living anymore. That was my choice. And I am so glad that they transitioned. Actually, both my close friends from seminary have told me that. So I invite you into a time of lighting candles of care, joy, and concern.
John, uh, if I could ask you to light one more candle for all those joys and concerns we hold in our hearts. Not lit. We probably need to use the other candle, but that one, it's going to work. Okay. And um, also our Ukrainian candle that we have here as we think about the situation in Ukraine. Thank you. And now the words will come up on the screen and there has music available at the back as well for our hymn of the month. There is a love. As I mentioned, the service this morning is divided into two parts. We celebrate Trans Day of Visibility, and my gratitude to you, Declan, for your wonderful reflection and sharing. And now, we celebrate our opportunity to think about what generosity means to us as a community of faith. But first, a joke. On the first Sunday of the stewardship campaign, the chair of the stewardship committee came up to the microphone during the announcements time at the beginning of the church service. The budget, the pledges were short that year, and the, and, and the campaign chair was certain that if, they just in, if everyone just increased their pledges a small amount, the church would meet its goal. And the, and the campaign chair, he they had come up with this punchy, great, short, effective tagline so that people would be so interested in increasing their pledges. So they got up after being introduced and they said, I up my pledge, now up yours. <laughs> That's a groaner. It's also inappropriate, but oh well. <laughs> I acknowledge it's inappropriate. It's pretty funny, though. <laughs> the reading this, this morning is from the classic Not Your Parents Offering Plate, A New Vision for Financial Stewardship by J. Cliff Christopher. In the book, it says, When I first started working with nonprofits other than churches, I noticed one glaring difference. Nonprofits understand why people give. Not only do they understand why people give, but they structured all of their methods and appeals around such knowledge. Before I started working with them, I had only my church experience behind me, and I realized that neither I nor the churches had any idea how donors think or why they act the way they do. What a novel idea actually understanding why people would want to give to you. In one of my clergy seminars, I put up on a screen a laundry list of reasons why people give. I then asked the pastors to choose which ones they felt were the number one, two, and three chief reasons people give. 
They started blurting out, taxes, guilt, involvement. No one was even close. Finally, a person who had been sitting quietly in the back raised their hand and said, number one is a belief in the mission. Number two is a regard for staff leadership. And number three is fiscal responsibility. They were right. I was stunned. I asked where they were a pastor, and they said, I'm not a pastor. But my pastor told me to, about this seminar and thought I might be interested. I'm the executive director of Habitat for Humanity. End of quote. Let's talk briefly about those three things, shall we? The first one is belief in the mission of the church. We've talked about mission before, and it has been duly noted that UCE doesn't have a clearly defined mission and vision statement to point to. My, when I was doing my internship, uh, my, um, my supervisor said, the only thing people are interested in donating to is a vision. You have to point to the vision. We must have a vision. But we can start to see, we're, I think we're starting to see what our vision is going to be. And I'd like to point to that. <laughs> However, I think that we can all agree that it is very important for the Unitarian Church of Edmonton to be in existence, especially right now as we're coming out of a pandemic. Especially if we just think about what we just did. We celebrated Trans Day of Visibility in, in our church, and I think that is an important thing for us to be able to do. And we may be the only, one of the only faith groups that w is willing to do that and celebrate our gender-expansive people. I'm also, you know, everyone's coming out of a pandemic. We're coming out of a pandemic. And I think that thinking about those that have been isolated, lonely, disillusioned, all while searching for community and putting some kind of meaning into all of this. And as an aside, there is a plan in place for this congregation to work on the development of a mission and vision statement before the end of this church year. So watch for that. UCE is needed. And we need to have programs to support those of us here and those we are welcoming and those that we are yet to welcome. We have a lot to offer. And we need to have some structures in place to quantify those offerings. We need to have things going on for people of all ages and for those of all ages to do together. Like the film festival we just had last weekend. The second reason stated was a regard for staff leadership. I can ac accurately state that UCE, United Unitarian Church of Edmonton, has a strong and stable staff right now, fully committed to making UCE thrive. We have a sense that together we are doing very important work, and we want to do our best for UCE. Your money is well spent on excellent staff. Of course, as we develop programs, we will need more staff, but that's for another day. The third reason for people to feel good about giving to their church or an organization is fiscal responsibility. I have watched your board deliberate and make good, sound fiscal decisions. They are concerned about the well-being of the church as an entity, as well as the well-being of each of its members. There are intelligent and level heads at the helm of this church. I've been reading a book called The Generosity Path, Finding the Richness in Giving by Mark Ewart. The author wants congregations to move out of the mentality of scarcity into the beauty of living in a spirit of abundance and generosity. He talks about how becoming generous to a cause or congregation that your values align with brings you into a partnership. You're not just putting money in a collection plate or having it whisked out of your account, which is so convenient and invisible. 
You're entering into a reciprocal relationship with your spiritual home. You have a stake. You have a say. Your generosity now becomes part of the common story of this congregation. Parker Palmer says, In the human world, abundance does not happen automatically. It is created when we have the sense to choose community, to come together to celebrate and share our common story. I have heard over and over and over again at churches that folks are tired, overworked, overburdened, and there isn't money for things. This culture of scarcity does not fulfill missions and visions. It does, this culture of scarcity doesn't, fit, it does, but it does, okay. I lost my place. <laughs> the culture of scarcity does not fulfill mission and visions. It does not create new programs, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. What if we decided we wanted to move from a culture of scarcity into a culture of abundance? We have a new DRE that is full of creativity and energy. We have a youth advisor that is helping our youth feel connected. And at the film festival last weekend, they were here en masse. I'm a relatively new minister with a lot of energy to try new things. Are you with me? Our office administrator is experienced and has our back. We have a great paid-off building with huge potential for events and renting. We have a dedicated and committed league of volunteers. We already have abundance. And I would encourage each and every one of us to think of UCE as being a generous community with time, talent, and treasure. It doesn't matter how fast we go. It does not matter where we are starting from. It only matters what our trajectory is. And from my vantage point, we are headed in the right direction. For us to continue, we need all of us. As my colleague, Reverend Teresa Soto says, all of us need all of us to make it. Don't think that your contribution, energy, and dedication won't make a difference, because it will. No one is asked to give more than they are comfortable with. No one is asked to volunteer more than they have energy for. The key thing is that if you wish to have a fully generous and meaningful relationship with UCE, you need to put something in. It is very true. You only get out what you put in. May you decide what is right for you to give, and then do that. May you find that this is the year that you discover the richness that being in a reciprocal relationship with UCE can bring to your life. May we all be richly blessed as we bring our energy, our ideas, our creativity, and our contributions to UCE. I can only imagine what will happen when we move further into a culture of generosity. So may it be. Amen. And let's just take a moment to reflect.
Well, that was a perfect segue to um, what I have to say in terms of sharing our abundance. Our community at uh, the UCE is entirely self-governing and self-supporting, and one of the privileges of our free church tradition is to provide all of the financial support for our many ministries from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is one of the spiritual values we recognize as central to us as a Unitarian uh, committee, and perhaps one of the first things to be in any mission statement. In addition to supporting this church community, we also make a monthly commitment behind, uh, beyond our walls, and one half of the unidentified cash that's received is given to uh, an outside organization. And this month's we're sharing with the International Council of Unitarian and Universalists. And those in the sanctuary can leave a donation in the offering plates at the end of the service. And for those online, go to the UCE website uh, and click on the donate button in the upper left-hand corner of the page. And of course, you can always mail a, a check um, uh, to the, directly to the office here. March is a special month, as you would have noted from the words of our minister. It's our canvas month, which allows us to kind of plan for the next year. And so we ask everyone to be, who's part of our congregation to make a pledge so that we're able to plan for the upcoming fiscal year. And that year starts July 1st, um, and uh, the uh, board and uh, the administrative staff are building the budget right now, so it's important to get those commitments in. And as part of the Canvas this month, so if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been asking several church members to speak about what they value about being part of UCE, and so today um, we call on Ellen Logan to be able to provide a few comments to the congregation. Ellen. I was born and raised in Saskatoon. Even though money was tight, my parents mainly supported two organizations they believed were very important in their lives. The first was their alma mater, the University of Saskatchewan. And the second was my mother's home away from home, Grace Westminster Church. All my family understood that if you believe in the importance of something, you must support it financially or it will disappear. Years later, Jim and I started attending this church. With my parents' example in my mind, we slowly began donating monthly because we quickly realized that our values and beliefs ran parallel to those of this denomination. Over the following years, our family became very involved in various church activities. Our girls attended church school, eventually joined the youth group, while Jim was very, very busy in the actual running of the church. This place was hopping in the 80s and 90s. There were church dinners, a yearly service auction, a uni art festival, many, and I participated in many of those. When Rob Brownlee was our minister, he suggested that people who did not have relatives in Edmonton, or the province for that matter, might be interested in joining an extended family. So we put our names in, and he formed groups. Our group lasted for 45 years. We, our kids were the youngest. I think they were five and seven then. It was amazing. We got together eh, once or twice a month. We skied, we skated, we partied, we celebrated the highs, and we grieved the lows. It was a wonderful thing to belong to, and something we would have missed if we hadn't been involved in this church. Little by little, UCE became our foundation. 
Many of our good friends we met at UCE. And as Rosemary said, what you put into something, you get out. And we got a lot out of it. As my own work increased, so did the travel. And I unknowingly stopped being involved in activities at the church. However, once I retired, I changed all that. First, I joined the choir, which on occasion still makes my heart sore. Plus, I became friends with a, a whole group of people I didn't know before. And the same was true of the walking group. I realized that just going to church, which I had been doing all along, meant that I'd lost connection with the congregation. I had to re-engage to reap the rewards of belonging to UCE. UCE, oh, donating financially is a fi essential step because UCE has regular expenses like we all do in our homes, and they need our contributions to cover them. So I heartily recommend involvement in this wonderful church. Thank you. Okay. So, thank you very much, Ellen. And um, I am going, I too, I'm pledging, and uh, so I invite, don't think that I get away from, with it. I have to pledge too. And so I am going to put my pledge form into the collection plate. And I invite all of you to do the same. I've put pledge forms at the back. So there you have it. We all pledge, even me. Um, very much, Reverend Rosemary, and uh, certainly encourage everyone. Uh, and I forgot, actually, because we have a short little song that we usually sing on the particular kind of offering, and I, and I forgot, I don't know if the words can be put up, but if uh, people might um, be able to uh, stand and uh, join in singing from you, um, I receive. standing give themselves a shake let's go through and because we're moving into um hymn number 407 we we're going to sit we're not going to sit but the song is we're going to sit at the welcome table As we go to the end, come into the end of our service, I'd like to thank a few people, um, Karen Mills on the piano, John Sproul, 
our service leader, Declan, thank you again for your participation. Ellen for speaking, Ellen Logan, John on sound, and Andrew producing, and Pauline Atwood on the camera. And thank you to all of you that have joined us online and to you that have joined us in the sanctuary. We can't do this alone, and it's so wonderful to be in community with you. Our chalice extinguishing words are by L.R. Nost. And if I could ask Declan to come and turn the, the flame out. Here's to the bridge builders, the hand holders, the light bringers, those extraordinary souls wrapped in ordinary lives who quietly weave threads of humanity into an inhumane world. They are the unsung heroes in a world at war with itself. They are the whisperers of hope that peace is possible. Look for them in this present darkness. Light your candle with their flame and then go. Build bridges, hold hands, bring light to a dark and desperate world. Be the peace, the hero you are looking for. Peace is possible. It begins with us. And now our benediction words are by uh, Alina Westbrook. Go in hope. For the arc of the universe is long, and together we can bend it toward justice and go in courage. For together we have the strength to confront injustice in our daily lives and in, our, in the larger world and go in love. Because a holy and generous love is both the reason and the means by which we transform our lives. Go in peace, gentle people. Go in peace. Amen. And we, as we do at the end of our services, I invite you to stand and make a circle. No holding hands yet. And sing, carry the flame. The words will come up on the screen. <laughs>